Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna. Today, we're going to be going into the realm of strength conditioning and its role in the world of rehab and reconditioning injuries. Um, Today's guest is Zach Wagner. Zach is a physical therapist and strength coach based in Southern Massachusetts. He's the owner of Wagner PT and Performance, a cash-based physical therapist practice or physical therapy practice in Lakeville, Massachusetts and the co-host of Missing Variable, or The Missing Variable, a podcast dedicated to bringing strength conditioning and biocycle social principles to PT practice and education. He is a passionate, or he is passionate about improving PT and healthcare in general, and is on a mission to provide outstanding care and transform the lives and health of his community. Zach, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me on. No problem. Appreciate you coming on. All right, tell us, man. How'd you uh, tell us about your story? Tell us about your journey. How you get to where you're at now? Yeah, for sure. So, good job on the intro right there, for sure. <laughs> um, definitely a couple steps in that. But yeah. um, I think to understand kind of where I'm at in terms of the physical therapy and strength conditioning realms, um, I was not somebody that knew that I wanted to do this really early in life. Um, I was in kind of a sort of biology centered thing in college ended up centering on a kinesiology degree and was basically going back and forth between physical therapy or more of a med school route. And before my junior year, I started to go into clinics and observe. So I was going talking to PTs and strength coaches and then also surgeons and doctors and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I decided to go ahead and go the PT route because PTs were a lot more accessible, seemed to enjoy their jobs a lot more, a lot easier to talk to. And I think just a lot of the doctors, uh, it became very clear that they were kind of overstretched. I should say physicians, not doctors, but um, overstretched and overworked and didn't have a ton of time to do some of the things that I knew were going to be important to me. So I kind of decided to do that. Went to DPT school at uh, MGH Institute of Health Professions in Boston. And then I ended up sticking around. I'm originally from California came out to Maine for college, went there for grad school, and then um, just kind of decided to stick around for for school. And then my wife uh, and her family live out here as well. So from there, ended up taking a job at my the place where I did my final clinical. And, you know, kind of a t- traditional outpatient orthopedic type setting, good place to be, good place to start out, get some intro, um, pretty standard in terms of volume you know, half an hour slots for most people, hour slots for evaluations, which is honestly better than a lot of other places have. Um, And I kind of rose through the ranks there, ended up getting promoted to a clinic manager when they were were expanding and taking over another spot. And while that was what eventually kind of led me to take a different approach in terms of opening my own practice, it was a good experience. I got to manage other people and we were doing really high volume. That was like 1500 visits a month that I was overseeing. Um, so there's a lot going on there. You know, the, the end of that is I basically decided at one point that I, I, was, I didn't want to do that. I actually ended up taking about four months working just part-time and doing uh, strength conditioning, basically internship at a place around here called champion physical therapy and performance. Um, and then while I was doing that, I got getting my own cash practice set up and then, uh, cash practice officially started a little over a year ago. And, um, you know, here we are doing the thing. That's right. 
Awesome. I mean, talk to us. Uh, one, I would love to hear uh, about your podcast, The Missing Variable. Mm -hmm. And then also, I mean, we got the chat. And uh, the way I know um, Zach is through our uh, PT mastermind um, through Danny Matei. So, um, I mean, let's let's talk about I know we when we were talking a little bit, we got to be uh, roommates for for a few days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for uh, bearing with me. Yeah, that was um, that was super helpful because I was like came into the came into the game kind of late and I was like, oh, crap, like, where am I going to stay? And then you reached out and that was perfect. Cool. Um, and, and we got to talk about uh, strength and conditioning and how you are really adamant about bringing in that into not only PT, but um, really introducing that earlier on with uh physical therapy students. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things that it's, it's really, it doesn't get taught in a lot of PT curriculums and, and it really, I don't understand really why. Um, because I always say it, it's not, you know, athletes or patients versus training, all that stuff is just, it's all the same concepts, just scaled to the individual, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've seen the quote all the time where it's like the, the needs of a, you know, elderly person and an Olympic athlete vary in degree, not kind, you know, that kind of thing. Um, True. And I think so much of it is just understanding how a body and a, you know, a system adapts to stress and how to monitor that and how to progress that. And uh, I definitely saw a big change in my practice when I just started to focus more on that kind of stuff. And even some of the patients that it kind of came along with when I got a lot more into the kind of pain science aspect of things, biopsychosocial, you know, whatever you kind of want to call that. Mm -hmm. But marrying those two principles in a practice has really helped me with every patient, but I'd say even more so with some of the patients, whereas before they, I would have had a lot of trouble with it and they didn't fit into kind of a traditional, you know, diagnostic box or something like that. Um, and I'm just finding principles of volume management and just exercise and stress in general is, is a, is a game changer. When you mean, when you talk about volume management, what do you, uh, for the listeners, what are you, uh, what are, what are you, I guess, uh, referring to? So in the traditional sense, I think of, if we simplify it to more of just a strength conditioning kind of principle, it's more or less like how much uh, how much work are you doing in a given time frame, so a day or a week or anything like that. And, you know, in a traditional programming sense, that's measured in, you know, sets and reps, you know, um, and basically how are you manipulating that to, to train or in a rehab sense, treat somebody to help them get the outcome that they want to get. What are one of the things that you feel uh, for, I guess, especially for students coming out of uh, graduate school and they're trying to get this concept or maybe they don't, but they either through a course or through books or maybe even um, talking with you. What are what are the pain points when it comes to trying to get into the strength conditioning principles and really trying add, to add that in into their um, clin clinical kind of toolbox? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is the way that I know, at least in my DPT program and a lot of the ones I've been through, the way exercise is presented is it's kind of very basic, you know, quote unquote therapeutic exercise and that kind of stuff. And it tends to be some of the stuff that people will think about when they will stereotypically think of physical therapy, like straight leg raises and, you know, some basic stretches and, and kind of that kind of stuff, a lot of stuff laying on tables and, and that doesn't look very quote unquote functional. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we don't come out with a lot more, you, you end up getting three sets of 10 and that kind of stuff all the time. Cause they just don't go into the nuance of why you might pick different sets and rep schemes, my, why you might pick different variables and, and different modifications of exercises to help kind of approach it. So I learned most of that from, 
being with and working with and observing good strength coaches because that's what they do every day. Um, and I learned a lot about working with athletes in that sense, in terms of how those small variables, when you're working with an elite athlete and you want to get that last few percentage points to help them win something, those little variables make a difference. Uh, as far as the variables, which I think is super important, what are some of them that you feel that, um, because like you just mentioned with athletes, especially pro athletes, those high level athletes that are really good at coordination, strength is really good, um, but they're starting to plateau, whether it's through injury or stuff like that. What are some of the variables like you just mentioned that um, uh, could be something that a student should maybe pay attention to, or, or maybe this is my, might be the first time they're actually hearing about it. What are some of those variables? Yeah, I think so. Like, kind of like we said, in terms of the elite athletes, that's one of those areas where just talking about this on, on my own podcast a little bit where, um, you know, if PTs are trained in that, in that area and they have some, some idea of where they're going with strength conditioning principles is there, they should be doing that. But if they don't, that's where you hand off to a good strength coach. So, you know, that's just, are you training for strength? Are you training for power? Are you training for, you know, agility and speed and that kind of stuff? And more of that, some of it will apply more to the physical therapy realm than others. Like for example, improving strength is something that pretty much across the board is, is helpful, but you may not be working as much on something like agility or speed in a, in a rehab setting. You might just be kind of setting the stage, understanding the principles so that a good strength coach can take over and kind of run with it. I think, I mean, uh, 100%. I mean, one of the things we learn out of high school, high school, out of a uh, school is obviously the stretching, the strengthening, uh, the basic three by 10 uh, type of framework when it comes to uh, exercises, uh, when it comes to endurance, right? Three sets of 20, 30, whatever. Um, but like you're mentioning, it's super important to understand. Again, you don't, there's some people that really like the sports aspect of it and want to work with these athletes um, and definitely strength conditioning and understanding principles very well play a big part. But even for the PT or even for the practitioner, whatever realm or whatever discipline they're in, um, knowing at least a very minimal, like you mentioned, volume uh, when it comes to management, tempo, rate, all that stuff, uh, just a very minimal is going to help. Um, yeah. Can you do good with the basics that you come out of, out of school with? Sure. But knowing these principles, even just like the even the basics of strength conditioning, it allows uh, those outcomes uh, to be improved quicker. Um, and then when you also get stuck in those in, in those matters in rehab or reconditioning that, you, you know, the patients either plateauing stuff like that, strength and conditioning plays a big role. Because um, I know maybe some of the listeners might be like, oh, you know, I really don't want to go into the sports realm. Uh, but even if you're not in there, I think it's important to understand, like like Zach's mentioning, is um, just knowing some of those principles and how to incorporate into your rehab and reconditioning is super important. Um, and but especially if you want to go into the sports and you know that the active population, having these uh, having a good relationship with these strength conditioning principles and even getting mentored and 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 you know observation hours, like Zach's mentioned, that like he was able to uh, you know shadow these guys and women um, that were not providing PT in a sense, but training, but those principles and just seeing what they have to um, like what they're building towards, right? Like a lot of times when we see patients or uh, clients and they're injured, we're showing them in their injured state, right? We don't necessarily see them at the uh, basically at the, at the performance level, right? So seeing them in that uh, performance level allows us to understand, okay, 
I know that in my program, I need to add this, this, and this to, for them to be able to get back to um, cutting, to get back to uh, jumping or whatever it is. So I think understanding those strength and conditioning principles are super, super important. And most importantly, getting, again, if you don't know, and if you don't, you know, maybe book uh, reading a book is not for you, getting, uh, getting trained, right? In the sense, what I mean is actually paying somebody to train you, a strength coach to, I've done it plenty of times, um, so that I can learn from them, I think is a super valuable tool. So if you don't necessarily, uh, like reading like me, I'm not a big reader. Um, but I'm very big in like connections and really being like, I'm a kind of kinesthetic type of learner. I need to be doing the actual work. So if I want to learn kettlebell, I want to coach that, you know, really good at kettlebells to be able to teach me that. If I want to learn kind of like the neurology type of things, I went to a coach or to PT that helped me learn those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's super valuable. Um, and the strength conditioning, these variables are super important. But I think what you mentioned, too, is you're, you're starting to see this bridge of PT and strength coach together, right? Where, where a lot of the PTs or practitioners in general are getting those strength conditioning certifications now to be able to uh, really dive deep into those principles. What do you think about um, or I guess if there's any certifications that you recommend or any uh, classes or anything like that that you recommend for those now hearing that, like, okay, you know, I mean, this might be a route that I want to go into, um, you know, learning more about the strength conditioning aspect and really adding this into my practice. What, what would be some of the uh, uh, suggestions you would add on there, Zach? Yeah, absolutely. I think the kind of performance physical therapy model, you know, is one that's catching on a lot and that those are people who are physical therapists and also strength coaches and are working with people all along that spectrum of rehab to performance. Um, I myself have, you know, the CSCS, a certified strength conditioning specialist through the NSCA. Um, that's been, that's been really good. I was, I was lucky to get that, um, right at the end of my undergrad degree and, but in terms of the certifications, I don't think the individual certification is necessarily the most important part, but it's what does it give you access to? What does it open mm-hmm. up for you? Um, you know, because for me, the the test in and of itself was, you know, was fine. But if you never do anything with it, um, then that's that's the the end of the road, so to speak, you know. So right. the NSEA is, is typically one that is seen, at least the CSCS is seen as a little bit more of a, uh, of a higher level one, you need a bachelor's degree for it. And they require you to do continuing education every couple of years, you know, so you have to go to conferences, you have to go to courses, you have to read, and you have to keep up with some of that stuff. Um, so doing that is definitely helpful to kind of give you that baseline, give you that credibility and give you the access to those continuing education resources. Um, you mentioned like, there's a lot of books, you know, there's a lot of great strength coaches out there who are putting out good stuff. And I think, you know, not buying into one person's thought process a hundred percent because, you know, people are going to be biased towards the populations they work with. And mm-hmm. you know, people I've learned a lot from in the past are um, Eric Cressy, who started Cressy sports performance with Tony gentle core out here in Massachusetts. Those are both guys um, that I've learned a lot from um, Mike Boyle is another coach who works with a lot of youth athletes and, and does a lot of, puts out a lot of good stuff. Uh, Mike Robertson is from IFAST in Indianapolis. Um, so there's a there's a long list of, of guys and gals who who do a great job. Um, a lot of them will also be putting out you know DVDs and online programming and that kind of stuff that you can do if you're not as much of the reader and you're more of the of the video aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is that we've kind of touched on already is go find a strength coach you respect and you like in your 
immediate vicinity and go and hang out with them and pick their brain and, and ask them about this kind of stuff. And then you're going to learn from them and you're going to have places to send your clients when you're kind of finished with them or when they need a different set of eyes. And that's just going to make you look good. When it, when it comes to like this performance care that we're starting to see, um, where the patient now starts to be basically healthy in a sense, or uh, pain is down, their you know their movement is pretty good, but they're still not at the level where performance is at the high level, right? We know that traditional uh, PT kind of gets you to that bare minimum stage where yeah, pain's pretty good, you're moving okay, but you're not quite ready for uh, return to sport or to really be confident back to on the field, on the mat, you know, back to the court, whatever it is. Um, how do you feel that strength conditioning prepares uh, the patient for that? Like I mentioned, um, one of your like most recent posts was, uh, you know, many injuries simply happen because you're returning to something way too soon um, after doing not too much for so long, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I kind of paraphrase it, but <laughs> yeah, right, but oh, yeah. <laughs> in the sense of like you, you're not as you're you're weak in a sense, or you're not as conditioned. Uh, because you haven't been doing these certain movements or certain uh, threshold or volumes or whatever for a long period of time. So um, what what are one of the ways that you mesh those to be able to provide this performance care? Right. I think some of the traditional limits on PT are are coming from insurance. You know, insurance companies, unfortunately, are dictating more and more the kind of care that people can get. And Mm Um, that's part of the reason why not part of the reason, one of the major reasons why I have uh, out of network cash-based practice is because I, you know, tell people, you know, we're going to sit down together. I'm going to let you know what I think. And then we're going to make a plan together to kind of get where you want to go. And you're ha- you can work with me for as short or as long as you want, as long as you're willing to, you know, pay for the service. And while that's not everybody can, that, that can afford that. I just, the people that I tend to work with tend to do better with that, um, the, I pulled up the quote that I posted just so I made sure I got it, got it correctly. But <laughs> I, I, it said, you know, many injuries are simply related to doing too much too soon after doing too little for too long. So yeah. I, I forget who, where I heard that from first, but it's just a very simple way of encapsulating this whole thought process of how are you preparing your body on a regular basis to do what it needs to do. And I have that conversation with almost every patient now. Um, some of this is getting looked at in the research a little bit more with things like acute to chronic workload ratios. And basically what that is in the sports realm is trying to put some numbers on how quickly can we progress? How much volume can we give people as we're moving them forward? Um, and where is there a threshold where athletes tend to get injured when they jump, you know, too big? I think a lot of us in the rehab world intuitively kind of know that mm-hmm. and it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of the injuries and a lot of the pain that I'm seeing can be boiled down in some ways to that very simple statement of you did very little for a long time and you wanted to increase and you increased too quickly. Your body wasn't prepared for that. So the way it responded was, you know, pain or, or you overloaded, you know, a tendon or something and you injured it. Um, you know, so the strength conditioning principles are, are just that again, another basic one that a lot of us are taught, you know, in school is the, you know, specific adaptation to an imposed demand, the said principle, Mm -hmm. your body will adapt to whatever it's being asked to do. As long as the stimulus is applied in a way that you are able to recover from. So I'm having conversations with patients every day, uh, concepts I call like the buffer zone concept, for example, I'll tell them, you know, if you're 
constantly pushing your body to the limit every day. You know, you're asking it to do a lot. You're not eating well. You're not sleeping well. You're not hydrating well. You're very stressed all the time. You're asking your body to use a very high percentage of what it's capable of on a regular basis. Whereas people who are in very good shape tend to have, they can push their body very hard to and the amount that they have available is very high, but that's done in a very specific measured way. And then the rest of the time, their body is being, is running on a very low percentage of what they're able to do. So the goal with PT, again, to go back to a basic is number one, calm shit down. And number two, build shit back up. You know, that, <laughs> that again, I, I, I need to look it up again, who that was, but I think it was Greg Lehman or, or Adrian Lowe is one of the, you know, kind of big pain science guys. And, and that's what it is. And that's why I tell patients, you know, if you're in here and there's a ton of pain, or a ton of discomfort, or, you know, you're just struggling, then we need to calm things down first. We need to figure out what can we take off your plate? What can we improve in terms of your recovery to get you to a point where you can accept some stress in a positive way? And then we got to build shit back up. We got to get you strong. We got to get you mobile. We got to get you in good shape. And then your buffer zone is, is much bigger. And a lot of times that results in pain going away because your body's not being pushed to the limit all the time. Absolutely. I mean, you hit it right on the head. I mean, a lot of times what I talk about is I call it the threshold, but the mm -hmm. buffer zone is perfect. And so I have these tiles in my clinic, right? Or the floors tiles. And I usually, there's basically, obviously the tile has four lines, right? To make a square. And I usually say, okay, that bottom line is basically your minimum threshold. And the top line is your high threshold. If you're constantly similar to what you're saying, if you're constantly uh, basically redlining the entire time, um, that's where injury is going to happen. Now the goal um, with this performance care is to to make that, like you said, that buffer zone bigger to where where you usually be redlining or right or, or basically where your body would be um, overworking itself now becomes kind of like the halfway point to where now you can push yourself a little bit uh, more right through strengthening through the mobility stuff through uh, reducing compensation reducing pain um, getting better movement patterns uh, getting better coordination that biopsychosocial model of okay I move better I'm more confident. Um, okay, I'm handling stress better outside of uh, the actual clinic, but like stress management as far as work and family stuff, but also um, the stress load of the actual volume within your training program um, is super important. And I think, uh, like you mentioned, for patients to under understand that, for clients to understand that, um, it's sometimes hard, right? Because they come in for treatment, right? And sometimes, uh, or should I say, their, their picture or their... Um, visual what treatment is i lay on the table you massage me um maybe a little matens and a little thing here and you work on me a lot of soft tissue and i feel better and that's it right i go back <laughs> to you know but a lot of times right maybe so i'm a big manual therapy guy like i love manual therapy i think manual therapy and hands-on skills and there's really powerful healing qualities to hands-on stuff um so just like there are very healing, uh, powerful qualities in words and how you talk to your patients and how you talk, uh, now their patients talk to themselves and self-talk and all that stuff. But a, a lot of times, especially early on or as early as we can get them is that strengthening, that movement side. So a lot of times with pain, uh, like we're talking about this buffer zone is if we can get you to be confident, strong, and be able to now increase that buffer zone. So now your pain's down, right, or gone by this time. But now your capabilities, right, your ability to now move and uh, address and handle load has increased, which allows you to now be 
um, pain free for longer and more and be able to work out or train or uh, be more active, more consistent. That's the goal. But I think a lot of times the perception of what patients and I'm not saying all of them. I, I think uh, there's some patients, especially with education. Like, okay, I, I get this. I, I understand why we're moving. I understand why we're not doing any like manual therapy today. And it's more of the conditioning side and how um, home exercise programs and deloading, uh, deloading referring to like if you're working out six times a week, maybe you're bringing down to like three times a week and then slowly ramping that up um, is important. But like I said, I think their perception or patient's perception of treatment sometimes kind of gets in the way so that when you are prescribing these exercise or 90% of your treatment is exercise and you're actually on the floor, um, like in the gym floor, usually, I mean, uh, both your practice and my practice, Zach, is uh, basically inside a gym. So we have that option to use the gym floor. So once the patients are on the floor or on the gym floor, 90%, almost sometimes 100% of the time, they're like, wait, wait, wait. So is this, is this, is this therapy or am I like getting a workout in? <laughs> and when you tell them, well, you, this is both. And they're like, uh, right. And then that's when the education comes back. Um, but yeah, I think that's super important, right? That set principle, that buffer zone, uh, or what I usually use the threshold, but I really like this buffer zone. I think you got something going here. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. And I think I keep throwing out all these little platitudes, but they, but they, but they fit, you know, and training rehab is just training in the presence of pain in a lot of ways, you know, Mm -hmm. in the presence of injury, in the presence of surgery, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, and, and that concept has just really helped me a lot in terms of explaining it to patients. So they buy in and they understand why some of the things like sleeping better, eating better, you know, managing their stress better will help them in a more concrete way. Um, you know, so there's all, all sorts of those. That's the one I tend to go back to more and more. You'll hear people talk about the, you know, the, the cup concept um, where every time, you know, you're putting, every time you're stressing your body, you're putting water into the cup. And when the cup overflows, that's when you tend to have difficulty. So it ends up being the same thing where we say calming shit down is taking stuff out of the cup to give you a better chance to recover. And then building stuff up is making a bigger cup, you know, or I've done that, or I've used a bank account analogy where it's like everything, you do mm-hmm. something positive for your, your health and your well being. you put money in the bank. And every time you, you're in a stressful state, you know, negatively stressful state or do something that maybe isn't so good for you, you pull it out. And as long as we can keep it in a positive balance, the better off you're going to be, you know? So, um, but a lot of what you said in terms of, I love it when people are saying like, you know, Oh, I'm sweating a lot this session or whatever, or something like that. Or yeah, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be in terms of PT or something like that. And I'm like, well, good. Cause you know, this is what's going to get you to, to back to the life you want to live. And I think the, one of the most gratifying things with being in the type of practice I'm in now is where when I was in an insurance-based model, a lot of it was, okay, I'm going to get you to the point where you're feeling pretty good and maybe we can do a little bit of the kind of more performance-based things, but then I'm just trying to educate the patient so they can self-manage as much as possible. While I'm still doing that obviously now, and I'm always wanting to do things that they can do for themselves more than anything, mm-hmm. but to ask somebody who doesn't have a background in strength conditioning or in, or in health in any way to modify, progress, regress their strength conditioning program on their own is very difficult to do. Um, and I'm able to work with people much longer and much more comprehensive way now and see some uh, awesome results. I mean, I talk a lot, not only in this podcast, but with my patients about sustainability, right? The goal of making sure that whatever you do in clinic, you can replicate on your own. Um, and without the dependence on me as a practitioner or any practitioner, uh, 
yes, guidance is awesome. I'm very grateful to give you this opportunity to, you know, to work with you and get you pain free and get you to learn about movement and be more confident uh, with the very careful line of not having them being dependent, kind of like no. you mentioned, as far as teaching them and making sure that, you know, they understand certain things and especially somebody with less of a background, because uh, not every person that, that we're going to be able to work with is going to be this high level athlete or this person that is very highly active. It might be, you know, a grandma or grandpa, or it could be a mom or dad that, you know, got hurt during work or whatever. They're starting, or maybe they're starting to be more active and, you know, they're starting to learn, but they just don't quite know how to, like you mentioned, progress and stuff on their own. So uh, creating these sustain, uh, sustainability type of models and sustainable uh, approaches for patients to not only um, learn, but also, also even replicate some of the things that you're doing with them on their own so that they complement uh, some of the clinic uh, sessions. And I think you mentioned something very, very, I think, I think it could be, uh, what's the word that starts with the C and it means problematic. <laughs> um, I'm lost of words, but some people might not agree with the continuity, uh, continuity programs, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, because of certain practitioners might, Think of it as a maintenance program where, hey, I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep you hurt just enough so you get it, that you keep coming back. But what we're starting to see is the opposite of a, of what now is. Most practitioners and I think you and I are kind of in a similar page of continuity where, um, all right, you're pain free, you're moving really good and your strength is pretty much good and you're back to doing what you're doing. But they like having the guidance. They like having someone to be able to work with. Um, if at any point something happens, the pain, but uh, someone to coach them, um, to be able to um, guide them when pain and, but not only with pain, but also with health. Hey, how are you sleeping? Hey, um, you know, nutrition, is that okay? Um, so someone to guide them along the way, almost like a health, um, I, I kind of usually call it like the health team. Hey, thank you for allowing me to be part of your health team because- uh -huh. A lot of times when pe people think of therapy, they think about um, 12 sessions. Okay, that's it. Or they think about therapy, like in emerging situations, like, ah, my knee hurts a lot. I need help. Okay, I get help. Pain's gone. See you later. Some patients are, should I say, more independent than others that, yeah, you get them to an important where they're pretty much solid and they'll come back to you whenever uh, they need you again. But some patients um, really like, like I said, this, this almost like this mentorship, this like person that they can go to or maybe go to once a week, uh, twice a month um, to help them stay active. And it's not that they're hurt, right? It's not that they're injured. They're actually feeling really good. And a big part of um, studying Chinese medicine now and a big part of Chinese medicine is you don't go to the doctor when you're sick. You, you go to the doctor when you're healthy so that you continue to be healthy and be and maximize that that health. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see um, like reconditioning rehab, we're starting to see therapy go that route. And we're starting to see people have this quality of life, not just quality of life, but really active quality of life where they're being able to really maximize their their potential uh, athletically and recreationally um, and have this relationship with health and have this relationship with doctors with PT, athletic trainers, massage therapists, practitioners that can help them uh, and their their health team. Again, they can have other practitioners in their health team as well uh, to kind of guide them, you know, along the way. So I think this continuity, uh, I think we're going away from this maintenance program and more around this cont uh, continuity program um, to where, 
yeah, you're still doing therapy, right? I, I sometimes <laughs> it's funny because sometimes patients will kind of come into to the clinic and be like, um, yeah, I'm here, and they kind of don't know what to say. They're like, I'm in. Um, they're like, Andy, what what are we doing? I was like, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, right? They're like, the therapy is it like functional uh, training? I'm like, whatever whatever you want to call it, because they you know they're they're getting to the approach of wanting to be they see their parents right especially a lot of baby boomers mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those older generation where they're they can't move very well they can't play with their uh, grandchildren grandchildren very well they can't be as active as they once were so you're starting to see um the younger generation like okay i don't want to be like that when i'm younger or when i'm older uh, i want to continue being athletic i want to continue doing all these movements um yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I think there's being there's a shift happening. I mean, I think it's already happened, but I think it's growing in the sense of people are looking for help for longer rather than just for the emergency side or, or for that um, acute side of things. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting and very important tension in I know in in the field of physical therapy and rehab um, where we're all a lot of starting to realize that the way you frame things and the way you discuss things with patients has a huge long lasting effect. So I want to make sure people, people know, I think a lot of times people see some of the cash based practitioners and that kind of stuff as just like Mm -hmm. you said, like trying to create problems where problems don't exist um, to, to make more money off of people. And um, you know, I know in my case, in your case and, and, most people we know, while there probably are some people who are who are doing that kind of a thing, um, the goal is to be able to move from more of an emergent, more of an injury-based care to more of an optimization type of thing. So mm-hmm. it's, can we get rid of the pain? Can we get you moving to a point where you're, where you're doing well and you're getting back to things you want to do? And then can we look at how can we optimize your life a little bit more? And while I'll be the first to admit that there needs to be more research done in that area. We need to understand more of the specifics around that. But having somebody who you work with on a regular basis, who you know well, who you know their tendencies, you know their personality, all that kind of stuff. you know. And I'm not coercing people into working with me if they don't feel like it's valuable. You know, I have a lot of people sometimes where I've even tried to send them on their way with some stuff and they want to come back because they see the value. Um, You know, and the other thing, too, is that I am a physical therapist and a strength coach. So Mm -hmm. once people are not, you know, quote unquote, injured or in pain anymore, I am fully comfortable in creating and executing a strength conditioning program with them because I do that also. So I'm trying to move them to that as much as possible. Uh, You know, and we never will balk at people who are saying, oh, you know, I have a personal trainer. I want a personal trainer, you know, and that kind of thing because they see the value in having somebody who's going to keep them accountable and keep them moving forward and, and working on things. Um, where it gets sketchy is when you have people who are very clearly creating narratives that are damaging to a patient, um, telling them things like, you know, your, your spine is out of alignment or, you know, you can't squat below parallel. You're going to hurt your knees or you're going to do and stuff like that, that I think people don't realize how much of an effect it has on people. And, you know, they need to make sure they're not doing that, obviously, but um, making sure that you're always empowering your patient and then, you know, doing right by them. Um, Yeah. So I think it's important, obviously, to not create issues where they don't exist, but to obviously we're trying to get people back to function as quickly as possible. But I'm also being a strength coach. I, you know, am very well trained in being able to write a program, execute a program with people. So 
as long as people are seeing the value and they're, um, you know, getting a lot out of the service, that that's what it's for. And I think we don't balk at people who want to have a personal trainer or want to have a nutrition coach or something like that because they want the accountability and they see the value in it. So while the conversation is different, obviously, when you're in an insurance-based model because the ethics come into it more in the sense of like, are we overusing their insurance just because of, you know, the fact that we want to try to get more out of it and that kind of stuff. So it's always a fine line between the, you know, in the cash-based world versus the insurance world and what do people need and, you know, is it ethical to be to be asking them to pay out of pocket? And given the way the insurance companies are, are screwing people and are are making them pay massive amounts of deductibles and stuff, anyway, I uh, I have I'm totally comfortable with it and just making sure that I'm providing the service that's valuable to them and and teaching them what I can teach them along the way. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, the, the name of the game is value, and uh, the more value you can give to a patient uh, and interaction, the more they're going to value you as a as a clinician, as a practitioner but also value the fact that receiving help is necessary um, for prevention of anything. But in the case that they do get hurt, uh, having somebody that can now bridge between actual injury and, and performance, um, a lot of patients are starting to see the, the true value of having someone like that uh, very handy. Uh, that performance and healthcare uh, type of approach is, is super important and it's starting to really grow. Uh, let's talk about how you merge that uh, biopsychosocial side of um, and pain science when it comes to strength and conditioning? Yeah, and I think the when I talk to students and other clinicians about this, a lot of it is just about where you know not quote unquote pain sciencing people. It's not an intervention. It's it's the and sometimes people say that they're like, oh, you can't talk people out of pain and blah blah blah. I'm like, I know that. I'm not trying to do that. But what it is is it's the foundation on which the practice is built the similar similar to how strength conditioning principles and that kind of stuff is a foundation on which a good practice is built the you know and even the, the term biopsychosocial is kind of being questioned and stuff and it always should be because we're learning so much more about those things every day mm-hmm. you know with the research but essentially all it means is that you're just trying to take the whole person and their whole life experiences into account you're not trying to put them in a box you're not trying to say that you know a big one is that pain is not a one-to-one with quote-unquote tissue damage or you know degeneration or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. there are the way people um the way their cultural feelings about pain are the way their social supports are um you know and even some of the more physical stuff we've already touched on uh, how they, how are they sleeping what's their nutrition like what's their stress levels like all that stuff goes into you know how your body will respond to pain respond to a stimuli and if you're not taking that those things into account, you're not going to get the right picture and you're not going to get the best outcome because those things are, are so important. I mean, I mean, listeners, if, if you get anything off of this podcast is the fact that one therapy is changing uh, and the way patients and the way clinicians are going about um, getting people better is changing. It's not just your typical Again, what you learn in school is the very basics, and it's up to you. I mean, we've said this plenty of times on this podcast through many other uh, guests, um, not just me talking, but um, is the fact that entry-level exercises are entry-level for a reason, um, and they have their pay- they have their place. But it's very important to understand the, the person and where they're at, meet them where they're at, and then help them grow from there and, and really introduce them to their true capabilities. Um, like Zach mentioned, like not just your 
uh, don't stick with just your, you know, TheraBands and your uh, straight leg raises, but really introduce these strength conditioning principles. Even if you don't want to go into the athletic realm, even the general population realm, having them, having you to understand that strength conditioning side of things is going to help you, um, one, progress somebody, I think more efficiently. Um, it's going to help them now introduce the active side of it, the performance side that they want to go back to, like working out and stuff like that. Um, and then definitely, if you want to go into the athletic, athletic realm, understanding those strength conditioning principles are super, super valuable um, and necessary uh, for you to understand what the 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 necessities, right? What what the the necessary um, qualities that that patient needs to have in order to perform at a high level and to be able to sustain um, that performance pain free and, and without injury. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about a lot of things when it comes to um, that strength side and understanding in general, like volume, pain points, right? What's um, basic knowledge, right? That that non-functional side of, of therapy that, again, that could be common. But now as we start to grow these uh, parameters and grow our understanding of how um, to really have this all-inclusive approach, I think is super important. Um, Zach mentioned a couple of these certifications but the biggest thing he mentioned about these certifications is not the fact that you have it, but the, that you know how to use the knowledge and know how to apply it. Because again, yeah, you have letters behind your name, but if you don't know how to use that, uh, it really means nothing. So yeah. um, we also talked about the fact that the perception of therapy with some patients is the fact that they're going to be laying on the table, maybe take a little nap while you uh, rub them for 15 minutes and you're going to show them onto a bike <laughs> um, and how they're really transitioning into, you know, in the fact that, okay, working out or uh, exercise and sometimes the whole session being uh, a progression of exercises into this performance stage is super important and a lot of patients now through education through um, practices like the ones that uh, Zach has and what he's built in his practice and what we do at Myronu is super important right where where you now start to educate the patient uh, and the client on hey doing too much it's not a good thing. And doing too little is not a good thing. It's having that buffer zone, as Zach likes to mention, is understanding, okay, this is where your level at. This is where your threshold is at, where you start to have pain with this certain amount of load or this certain amount of activity. Reduce that and start to work your way up and build that foundation so that now you can surpass that and have a new level, a new buffer zone, right? Increase that buffer zone so that now you can perform at a higher level for more consistently. And, then, and that goes across the, uh, across the board with general pop or athletes, um, don't remember what it was that, uh, if you can refresh my memory, Zach, you mentioned the difference between, I think it was, uh, geriatrics and athletes or general pop and athletes mm -hmm. was not the, the activity, but the degree. Right. The, the needs of those people differ in degree, not kind. Yeah. And I mean, I think that is a super valuable principle to take. Cause I think sometimes when we think about, um, high level athletes, like, man, they're doing these high feats of, of strength and stuff like, yeah, but so are you in your own ratio and in, in your own uh, perspective, right? Um, and I think understanding that, uh, again, going back to strength and those concepts are super important, uh, that sustainable aspect of, of movement and health and how continuity is not a bad thing. The fact that you're getting, again, a lot of people think, oh, are you going to therapist? Something must be wrong. Hmm. Um, but a lot of senses, yeah, I'm going to this, uh, therapist, right. But he's also a strength conditioning coach and also does this and he's helping me. Uh, yeah, I don't have pain, 
but I'm going to him or her uh, so that I can move better and I can continue to progress. Um, you know, they, you know, they know more about nutrition than I do. And I'm learning about those things. I'm learning how to handle stress. You know what? A lot of people come to me and they just talk. Like we're just talking about their, you know, how their day is going, how's work going, you know, projects that they're working on. And we're just happy to do some manual therapy and some uh, movement stuff and a little bit of performance based stuff. But most of the time, most of the time it's talking about, um, about their day and having somebody to talk to. And like, like Zach mentioned, somebody that understands their, their journey through this injury or through this pain and through this transformation, because sometimes they don't even come for pain. They just have some limitations um, that they want to work through. Um, and we're starting to see how patients and, and people are starting to really value that um, and really start to uh, find clinicians and find practitioners um, that are willing to to learn and to willing to to have this type of approach, not just this cookie cutter type of approach, but uh, trying to get this wholesome, like uh, Zach mentioned, this biocycle mm-hmm. social side of, of understanding the person as a whole, their ability to handle stress, their ability to um, adapt to load, right? To be able to understand why things are happening um, and also incorporating that strength and fitness side and not being scared to uh, uh, sweat, as, yeah. as Zach mentioned, which is, which is yeah. super, super important. I think a, um, a couple of things I just want to touch on too is that yeah. another one of these kind of patient uh, education type things that I always go back to is when people are expecting, like you mentioned, you know, hot packs, cold packs or laying on the tables and that kind of stuff is, uh, I think it's just something I point out to people a lot and they kind of see a light bulb go off that passive interventions are not going to yield active results. Mm-hmm. You, ne- you need to do something active if you want to make active improvements. And, you know, you also touched on the how a lot of times people are just, we're just talking to them. And so much mm-hmm. of especially the initial visits are just a very, very long, very detailed, subjective in a history. So I'm understanding where they're coming from. And even some patients, like I had a patient today who, who comes to see me once a month and I actually program less for the sessions a lot of times because he, I know he's always going to come with questions and we end up getting into these detailed conversations about why we're doing what we're doing. So I leave time in the session to do that stuff um, because that's what he gets value out of, you know? So, uh, and you, you mentioned some of the kind of certification and the CEU type stuff. So if I, I want to plug a couple of things that have been very valuable to me um, in the past. So, well, one, obviously, the most of the stuff that we're talking about here, the, my, my podcast that I co-host with my friend, uh, Matt McClanahan, who is somebody who just graduated from PT school, is called The Missing Variable. And our whole goal is to help bring strength conditioning principles on one end and biopsychosocial pain science type things to PT education and practice is one. And then um, another couple, if people are more interested in learning about specific and go, diving deep into um, pain science and how to work with pain and how to understand a little bit better. Uh, Modern Pain Care is a group that puts out some amazing in-person courses, online mentorships, online courses, and are constantly coming out with more. And um, another one that is more specifically geared towards new grads is um, the Level Up Initiative mm-hmm. is a group that I did. They basically do a free mentorship where Um, they run you through modules that are focused on things like communicating well, listening well, um, having a growth mindset and, um, understanding how to challenge yourself, um, through those interactions and helping to navigate the gray areas that a lot of times just aren't covered as much in school. Mm -hmm. So, um, those, those kind of, 
those things are, are super, super valuable because it's people who've been there and who are helping to try to change the kind of face of healthcare in general. And I'll make sure to, uh, you should see at the bottom of this podcast, um, those links so you can uh, make sure to uh, use those resources. Like I mentioned, or like Zach mentioned, The Missing Variable, his podcast that he uh, co-hosts to make sure, make sure you look at that make sure you check it out. Um, and you said the other one was Modern Pain Care and then the Level Up Initiative. Level Level Up, that's uh, Zach Gabor, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a good yeah. friend who uh, who practices in Boston, so he's just about forty five minutes away. Um, right. Who has put that together, and they're now going into their third cohort, and they have. I did. I was. A, I was a mentor with them for their last cohort, mm-hmm. um, and they're going. And I think I just saw. I just told me today that they have like four hundred people mm-hmm. signed up for it. So they're doing some great stuff. That's um, awesome. And then we actually had Zach on uh, one of our earlier podcasts uh, talking about how words matter in the bio, bio cycle, social model. So if you guys want to listen to that, um, definitely, definitely recommend that. And again, the, what they're doing with the level up initiative is just, it's grown so much, man. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's huge. That's yeah. Crazy. I think um, the other yeah, thing that I was wanting to do, I think a lot of times we have these conversations about, you know, how these principles can apply to patients and then there's not mm-hmm. always some specific kind of examples given. So, I want to just kind of give a couple of specific examples if I could. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I think on the more kind of strength conditioning side of things and how being somebody who talks the talk and walks the walk and understands some of these things was super helpful is uh, a patient story that I'll share is uh, I had a powerlifter come to see me in my clinic, um, found me through Clinical Athlete, which is another great resource for this kind of stuff. Um, And she had been having hip pain with squatting and deadlifting and some shoulder pain with bench pressing. So the first thing that we did was go back through her training log. Luckily she had a very detailed training log and we were able to pinpoint um, the day that she had had pain and then go back to the training sessions before that point and realized that she had done an increased volume of deadlifting and had hit a PR squat like three days before the pain kind of came on. Um, so combining that with some of these kind of volume and load management principles, let us figure out, okay, this was your body was kind of overstressed. And then you started a new cycle where you were stressing your body even more new training cycle. And now things have just kind of stayed irritated. So her treatment pretty much consisted of deep dives into looking at her mechanics and looking at the lifts themselves and then modifying them. So for example, um, squatting past parallel was, uh, painful for her, which is obviously an issue for a power lifter because that's what they do. Um, so basically what we did is we uh, just elevated her. We had her squat to a box for a while. We had her change her stance a little bit. And then over the course of a few weeks, we moved her back down and we did the same kind of thing with a deadlift. We modified, we raised the deadlift up. She was doing it from an elevated surface and then we worked her back down. Um, you know, so that's where some of that stuff is. She didn't need a lot of, you know, soft tissue or like, you know, banded distractions or any of these like really kind of basic low level type exercises. She just needed to understand how to modify training loads and and mechanics a little bit so that she could take some stress off of an irritated area and then build it back up. So we calmed shit down and we built it back up. So, you know, that's one from that side of things. And um, from the other kind of more biopsychosocial aspects of it is, you know, low back pain is a super common one that people mm-hmm. see a lot and is one that I find is very susceptible to um, some of these kind of bad narratives about how your back is fragile and it shouldn't bend this way and you shouldn't lift like this and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, it's one that I think people have a lot of fear around. So 
I had a patient come in who had had pain for a very long time and come to find out she had, you know, been told some of these things that she shouldn't bend a certain way, that she shouldn't deadlift, you know, she shouldn't do some of these things that are actually going to strengthen those areas. So, so much of what we worked through was just basic exercises, range of motion, and providing some signals of safety to her and her body to understand that moving these ways is correct, moving these ways is fine, as long as you do it in a, in a controlled way and you kind of respect the way your body's feeling. And now, you know, she's back to working with a trainer and lifting and understanding how to manage some of these things. So I think it's helpful to give some concrete examples of, of where and why these principles can come into practice. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Having those visuals for me as well, um, examples, be, you know, gives them that, that ability to now tie in everything we talked about. And again, it goes back to understanding these principles um, and, and really being able to apply them. Uh, and then in, in the, the interaction side of the biopsychosocial and being able to give that person that confidence to say, hey, okay, look, you're having some pain, but hey, let's start to now progress to certain things and get you more confident with movement um, is a very, very powerful skill. I mean, I did a post uh, a couple of days ago about the hierarchy of interaction with education and then skill, right? We, we, we mentioned that. Um, a lot of times just being able to teach somebody how to do things appropriately uh, rather than us actually applying these techniques um, could be uh, the missing missing link to uh, patient care. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for those examples. That's, uh, again, sometimes people, we can talk all these type of principles, but giving those examples really allows somebody to uh, tie it all in. So thank you very much, Zach. Yeah, for sure. Um, how can, I mean, you did list uh, the missing variable and a couple of resources. Uh, is there any other way that they can find you, Zach, if they have any questions, either email or IG, any of those things so I can uh, link them down here on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my practice's website is just wagnerptp.com. Um, all my contact info is on there. The email is just my name, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at wagnerptp.com, um, which people feel free to reach out with anything. And then also... Um, Instagram is probably the one where I'm the most active and the most easy to find. So um, just message me through that. And either of those will be good. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and I'll make sure, like I said, to link that. You should see that at the bottom of this podcast uh, episode. Uh, you mentioned a couple of resources. Is there a book uh, that you like to recommend? Um, not really one, you know. Okay. So I think for the clinicians, the stuff we mentioned um and adding clinical athlete to that list is a good place to start okay. i think it's like anything else when you get into them you know if you read a good research article you come away with more questions than answers and it opens up <laughs> the world of possibilities and and then you can dive in from there you go into that black hole of information yeah, yeah. which is always good um perfect all right so now we have entered uh one of my favorite components to this, to this podcast is what i call speed round mm. um and to anybody that has listened to these podcasts these questions are very interesting. So basically, a speed round is three questions that I get to ask you, the guest, Zach. Uh, don't get nervous. And you have literally 0.3 seconds to uh, answer these questions. And I usually say that's an arbitrary number, but <laughs> I got the idea yesterday to actually time this. And by the time it gets to 0.3, I'm going to make uh, a buzzer sound. So <laughs> I hope that uh, neither you or the listeners get annoyed. Uh, but we're going to try this out, and if it works, we might continue doing it. And if it uh, doesn't, uh, we'll make sure to take it out. So I'm, I'm excited and nervous, and okay, going to have to give that me is... some room to expand if necessary, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So here are the three questions. Are you ready, Mr. Zach Wagner? All right. Bring it. Let's go. Okay. Uh, 
So, first question, by the way, disclaimer, they're weird <laughs> and very interesting questions. They get to know us a little bit more about you, uh, Zach. So, right. here we go. First question. When preparing cereal, do you pour the cereal or the milk first? Oh, cereal. Easy. Wow. That was quick. Okay. Okay. So, cereal first, you said. For sure. Is there a, a methodology behind that? Is that just like because of you that's just the way you've always done it or is there a reasoning behind that i don't know i feel like when i was when i was a kid i felt like i could get more in there you know <laughs> because you could fill the bowl all the way up and then just put just enough milk to kind of get it get right. it uh, get it in there but if you put the milk in first you can only pour it on top and you don't this get this is much. true this is true okay so does that mean when you're hungry cereal first and when you're not as hungry milk first or mm. just always cereal no, I'd say it was always it was always a cereal first. I can never I can probably say that I cannot think of a single time when I pour the milk in the bowl first. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Are you ready <laughs> for the second question? Let's do it. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? A teleportation for sure. Does that count as wow. a superpower? That definitely. Why teleportation? I just feel like it's just the convenience factor, man. So it would be amazing. Okay, teleportation. That's like uh, the guy from uh, X Men, right? The the blue guy, Nightcrawler, yeah. Nightcrawler, right? For sure. A close okay. second so you, would be would be flying. Flying. Okay, I think yeah. that's people's number one choice is flying. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Last one. Um. Are you ready? Let's let's go. Okay. <laughs> uh. Last question. Favorite movie? Uh, the Godfather. The Godfather. You went with the classic of all classics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why is that? Why Godfather? I remember just the first time I saw it, you know, I'm, I've always been into those like really kind of like detailed, like really in-depth, like dialogue driven type movies. And there's mm -hmm. like some of the best scenes that have like ever come out of, 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 of movies are from that movie, you know. So okay. um, that's definitely one for sure. I think a, uh, it's one of those things, too, I think, where like when people ask you, what's your favorite band? I'd be like, well, yeah. what's my favorite band like right now or in a certain <laughs> genre? You know what I mean? Right. Because I can go totally the other way and go like like Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, definitely mm -hmm. big okay. one for me. Okay. And then go in the comedy realms, you know, there's so many to choose from. All right. All right. Um, you did a very good job with the speed round. You really did not hesitate. Um, I'm very, very impressed with your <laughs> level of the ability to handle pressure and to execute. That was that was impressive. If I had an, an applause button like normal radio stations, I'll be pressing it right now. I love so it. What's the buzzer? Should we hear the buzzer at least, though, so I know like what I was avoiding? No, no, you're probably gonna have to hear another. Uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. To be able to, you know, keep you on a cliffhanger there. I think uh, <laughs> my wife will tell you the same thing that when we're watching Jeopardy, it's like yeah. if I know the answer, it's fired out there even before he's done with the question. Usually. Damn! So you've gotten some practice. That's uh, that's pretty good. I'm a big fan. Um. So the last part of this uh, podcast is the thank you that I, I really like to give on every single podcast. And the first one goes uh, to you, uh, Zach, as a guest for taking the time to jump on the podcast, even though we had some uh, annoying technical difficulties. Um, you uh, have powered through and allowed us to hear some of your knowledge and your approach to not only health, but the impact that you leave uh, your patients with. Um, the knowledge that you're able to give us and to the listeners. So I really appreciate you giving the time. Uh, if there's anything, and I've always said this, is to me, the most valuable thing somebody can give uh, is not money. It is not material. It's time. So uh, the fact that you gave us some time to, to uh, connect with you and to hear about your cereal and milk uh, dilemma, <laughs> I mean, we, we appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. It's, it's always fun to do. And 
you know, I know how, uh, how hard it is sometimes to get people on the podcast and schedule things myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I very much appreciate it. And you're gonna, we're gonna have you on our show at some point in the future too. Awesome. Awesome. And then the second, uh, out of the three thank yous are to the listeners, listeners. Um, you could have been anywhere at this point right now in your life, but you chose to listen to connect and move radio and specifically to this episode with Zach. Um, And we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to have platforms like this and to share knowledge and to share information and to share our passion, um, not only in health, but in fitness and self-development. So um, if you're on your way to work, if you are on your way home from work, if you are at school, if you are anywhere, thank you for giving uh, this episode a shot and for listening uh, to the entirety of it and giving us the opportunity to, um, you know, spread some value. So thank you very much to the listeners. And then uh, this last thank you is to our clients, is to our patients and to our students. Um, Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our passion, to share our value with you, to be able to have the opportunity to share our skill set with you. Um, I mean, I I mean, I can attest for, um, I'm not a speaker, Zach, but especially (laughs) for cash-based owners, um, the ability to do what we do in the capability that we're able to do and the autonomy that we're able to do. Um, it's not easy, right, to own a business and do all that stuff and uh, to have patients that really value what we do uh, every single waking moment and even refer people to us and patients. Uh, this is just a big thank you to you guys uh, for believing in us, believing in our mission to be able to help other people move, be healthier, and have this um better positive and intentional approach to health and to themselves. So uh, thank you to clients, to past, present, and future clients and patients. Uh, thank you very much. Yep. Now, Absolutely. Well said. Uh, with that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support and see you on the next episode. Hold up.